Thanks to Indeed for supporting Industry Focus. Are you hiring? With Indeed, you can post a job in minutes, set up screener questions, then zero in on your short list of qualified candidates using an online dashboard. Get started today at Indeed.com slash Motley. That's Indeed.com slash Motley. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. Today we'll be looking at Disney, which has been buffeted in recent weeks by park closures, cancellation of sporting events, and delays for its films. Joining me today to break it all down is Motley Fool contributor Rick Minaris. Rick, how's it going? How you doing, Nick? I'm doing a lot better than some of Disney's businesses right now, but I'm here, and hopefully Disney will still be, so yes. Yeah, it's been a wild month, so I pulled the numbers right before we sat down and started recording down 39% in the past month, was down 10% today, last I checked. I know, Rick, you've been following Disney for a really long time. Have you seen anything like this in the stock ever before? No, I mean, definitely not, and I mean, I've, I've owned Disney since, like, Basically, since 1986, so since I was like in college, so basically I've I've held it through, uh, you know, the market crash, through through the, the recession in the 90s, through obviously through 9/11, and that what that created with the theme parks and just general in- industry. Uh, this is definitely unheard of. Uh, its theme parks have never been closed as long as they are right now. Uh, we've never had a, a complete sports outage like we're seeing now. There are and movie theaters are closed now, so there are a lot of aspects of Disney's business getting hit in ways that's never happened to Disney before. Yeah, absolutely. You look at the parks. This is a significant chunk of revenue, almost half of operating income. Uh, you've written about this. Said Monday was the first time ever that all the Disney and Universal Studios parks nationwide were closed at the same day. When we're looking at this park closure, how should we be thinking about that as investors? The impact on the company. Yeah, I mean, it's a definite impact. Obviously, I mean, the parks are closed, and while. They've had parks closed from time to time. You've had uh, when the hurricane hurricanes hit Florida, they closed. Uh, you've had obviously there was a 9/11 related closure when both parks in in the California and in Florida closed down for a while. But outside of let's say the tsunami in Japan a few years ago that closed that park out for about a month, we've never seen this kind of prolonged outage. And Disney has never been as large as it is now with the theme parks. Uh, obviously now in Hong Kong and Shanghai and Paris and Tokyo and the U.S. of course all closed. So we really don't know the kind of impact we have here. We know what Disney thinks its impact was in China uh, with, with, with Shanghai and Hong Kong. Uh, back in their earnings call back in early February, which seems like a lifetime ago, uh, they said it was going to be a $175 million hit. So that uh, we know that that's for those two parks in Hong Kong and Shanghai, that they own a minority stake in a 40-some percent stake, uh, but it's significant. But now we have Tokyo closed in March, and, and, and Tokyo Disneyland, while Disney doesn't own, they, they do collect some pretty hefty royalties and licensing fees from that park, uh, from the resort, so that's gone. And now we have, of course, the U.S., where, um, I mean, it's, this is clearly going to be a 10-figure kind of hit on domestic parks. When you think about like, the 20-some-odd resorts that Disney has at Disney World, uh, there's three hotels in Disneyland, but just the fact that they own them fully, it's 100% of the hit. And not just that, the fact that they're refunding people, their, their annual passes, tickets that have to be extended. And we don't know when this is over, when the parks are open again, if people are just going to say, oh, great, I can go back to Disneyland, I can go back to Disney World. There's going to be that instinct to do that, but we don't know <clears> – <throat> what the state of the economy will be at that point. If people could even afford a Disney World or Disneyland vacation, those things are cheap. So there's a lot of factors right now and even in the near future, which uh, you know are concerning, at least on the theme park end. 
Absolutely. And this is revenue we talk about with restaurants uh, a lot, you know, here on, on the various Motley Fool podcasts. This is revenue that doesn't come back, right? I mean, you, you lose these days in the parks, these days when people will be eating, that sort of thing. Uh, it, it's, it's to be determined how long this is going to last. Uh, you know, they did send home uh, all their Disney College program participants, which suggests this is going to be an extended, prolonged outage. It, it, it's just hard to know. Uh, you know, moving on to the, the media network side of the business, you mentioned earlier sports being closed down. What, where does this leave ESPN right now? I mean, they, they cover the sports you know, genre. Yeah, I mean, ESPN is obviously, I mean, they're not as important to Disney as it was maybe a couple years ago, and it was like the driver now. Obviously, we, we live in the cord-cutting uh, revolution. The, the cord-cutters are uh, getting rid of ESPN. We've seen ESPN subscribers decline the last few years. Uh, but specifically to ESPN, yes, sports, all major sporting events are for all effective purposes canceled. And this is pretty much worldwide. It's not as if there's like one league out there that's open. So that's obviously a big deal to ESPN. Uh, but on the other hand, sports news is still happening. And it's not a matter of, well, Kevin Durant has coronavirus and that's headlines. Uh, you know, right now is recorded. This was a headline of the day before. But you do have a case where um, we have the NFL free agency going on and, and Tom Brady leaving New England after two decades of dominance there is a pretty big deal. So people are tuning to ESPN and they're getting their sports center fix. And the only silver lining in this for Disney's sake is that ESPN's, their, their sports programming, their news programming is actually the cost-effective part of that business because they're paying a lot of money uh, for pro sports leagues, which will be pretty much on ice right now, no hockey pun intended, as, as these leagues are not playing their games. So I think you're going to see a case where um, it's going to be a net negative, of course. I mean, nobody likes to see sports you know, basically hit the pause button for weeks, if not months at this point. But at the end of the day, on a cost, as far as the bottom line, it may not be as big as impact as we see in Disney's theme parks, for that matter. Or, or even its, its studio division, uh, which is going to take a lot more hurt than just the fact that sports is off right now for a little bit. Yeah, it is interesting. ESPN leadership came out, I, I believe it was yesterday, maybe, uh, to say that they're going to continue doing that kind of news coverage you mentioned, Sports Center, as well as they're going to be looking to air archival content and themed stunt event programming, which, which the first thing I thought about was dodgeball, like ESPN 8, the Ocho. <laughs> if they start running that sort of thing, Rick, what would you be most excited to watch on ESPN? Um, I would love to see retired basketball players doing dodgeball. I'd love to see Barkley and Shaq go at it. Uh, but uh, no, I mean, anything, I, 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 you know, people are going to be so starved for entertainment that if it's just basically uh, LeBron James and Dwayne Wade playing, you know, playing a game of poker together, that's going to be entertainment. So um, it, I think people are going to be hungry for anything that happens, anything we get out of this. But if it's, if it's like ESPN Classics, which is an established ESPN channel showing archival footage, we know its appeal is limited. There's only so many times uh, you want to see Doug Flutie uh, do the Hail Mary pass against UM uh, when he was at Boston College many years ago. Uh, so it, there is a lifespan. Sports is meant to be experienced live. People can relive the Super Bowl and the championships. But, you know, it, it's old footage is great uh, in documentary form, uh, but it's not the kind of stuff that's going to generate advertising revenue, the kind that they're going to have to forego now. Yeah, unfortunately, they said that their Michael Jordan documentary they've been working on isn't ready to roll out, which would be a great thing uh, to roll out right now. Uh, moving on to the, the studios, this is another, I mean, really across the board, uh, basically every business that Disney's in is, is getting hit, but, but the studio division has have delayed some production, delayed some releases of movies. How should we be thinking about that? Yeah, I mean, this is another part because Disney is an ecosystem, and we know that once they put out a hit movie, it winds up in its theme parks. It winds up later on in Disney Plus and through Disney Channel. Uh, it's one hit basically just trickles down through the rest of the family. If they have a hit ride, even at Disney World, like Pirates of the Caribbean or Haunted Mansion, or now Jungle Cruise, which is one of these movies that was supposed to be coming out soon, um, you do have a case where even that can 
basically get the ecosystem rolling with movies and merchandise and consumer products and all that. You do have a case where um, theaters are now, for all effective purposes, closed. And Disney's last movie, which came out earlier this month, was Onward from Pixar. And it had $39.1 million in its opening weekend, which is the worst Pixar opening in 10 years, more than 10 years, actually. So... Obviously, you tell yourself, well, people didn't want to be at the movie theaters, and this is an original property, not a sequel. People didn't know these characters are not invested in these franchises uh, the way they are some of Disney's earlier IP. But now you have the case that Mulan, uh, which is not the animated one that came out you know, 20-some years ago, but the actual live-action remake, which was getting pretty good reviews, uh, was supposed to come out later this month. It's gone. Disney hasn't said when it's going to happen. All, uh, Black Widow, all these, and all the studios have all, also followed suit. So it's definitely going to be a void if and when, well, when um, the multiplex opens again, what they're going to be showing, because all these studios are pretty much backed off until people are coming back into theaters, and this obviously affects Disney. And just production of new movies, production of new TV shows is also on ice, uh, as, as these companies are saying, well, we can't have people just getting together and film stuff when we're saying, you know, we, so, you know for social distancing. So there's a, a content gap, uh, the kind that we see during writer's strike, uh, but this is more f- far-reaching because it, it is a case where nothing is being done, period. Right, and the one thing I think about, uh, Rick, specifically is Marvel, right? You see this delaying of Black Widow. This is a, this is a story that Disney has been telling, gosh, you know, ever since I was, before I was even in high school, maybe. And so when you pull this, this Black Widow movie out of the, out of the queue, it, how does that affect these other movies in the cinematic universe? Are we going to see all these, all these delays get kicked back, or how, does that, how should that play out? Yeah, and again, it all depends. I mean, this all depends on how. I mean, the reason we're not getting dates on some of these movies is because we don't know when the coast is going to be clear. If things are fine, like in China, we're already starting to see some life come back. I mean, we're seeing a Starbucks announced this week that they're opening 90% of their stores now. Um, Shanghai Disneyland is not open, but its shopping district and hotels are starting to open slowly. Uh, some, some, you know, so some areas are starting to open up. If we follow that trajectory, we're like in a month or two, we're back to opening and we're all out in cabin fever we are all out there and enjoying stuff maybe it was just a matter of just slotting it black widow into the the holiday weekend where it feels it can counter that with maybe something like an, a family fair something maybe an animated release over thanksgiving or something like that but yeah it would have a factor on everything gets pushed out you're not going to just forget uh that scarlett johansson made a movie uh, and, and just let it go so you do have a case where disney it was already 2020 was already going to be a hard year for Disney because 2019 was pretty much its studio's Super Bowl. It had all six of the highest grossing movies of 2019. Uh, and obviously Marvel's Avengers Endgame was like basically the crowning achievement of that. But we had the ninth and final Star Wars uh, movie. Uh, we had Toy Story 4. We had Frozen 2. We had a lot of hit movies out of Disney. And we weren't going to get that kind of ammo in 2020. Anyway, Mulan and Black Widow, they're going to do great uh, when they come out. But they're not going to do as well as Avengers Endgame or uh, let's say uh, you know Aladdin maybe uh, for Disney last year. So you, you had a case where it was already going to be a drop off. Now it's almost it's not a scapegoat, uh, uh, but it, you know it's just a delay and, and it's it's gonna be, it's gonna hurt. Yes, right. I mean they are, those those comps are already going to be going to be very very difficult for them. Uh, we're gonna take a, take a break uh, for an ad read, but on the back half of the show we'll talk about how Disney can position themselves going forward and maybe there could be some some bright sides uh, to this closure for them, uh, even though these are some really tough conditions. When it comes to hiring, you don't have time to waste. You need help getting to your short list of qualified candidates fast. That's why you need Indeed.com. 
post a job in minutes, set up screener questions, then zero in on qualified candidates using an intuitive online dashboard. And when you need to hire fast, accelerate your results with sponsored jobs. New users can try for free at Indeed.com slash Motley. That's Indeed.com slash Motley. Terms and conditions and quality standards apply. Offer valid through March 31st, 2020. Once again, you can post your job today at Indeed.com slash Motley and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first job posting. That's Indeed.com slash Motley. Okay, Rick, so, so all these issues that we uh, we just laid out in the first half of the show are coming under conditions where Disney has a new CEO in charge. Uh, Bob Iger announced a month or so back that Bob Chapek, the chairman of Disney's Parks Experience and Products, uh, will be the new chief executive. When you look at this leadership changeover occurring at this time of high stress for the business, uh, how, how does that affect your view on how, how the company may be able to navigate these, these, condi- these conditions? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, I mean, not that Bob Iger planned it this way, not that Bob Chapek wanted it this way, but it was like, you can't get any worse timing than the last week of February when Bob Iger said, well, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be CEO anymore. I'm going to stay behind the scenes for the next year and a half and handle creative uh, you know, issues, matters. Um, but Bob Chapek's your new, your new CEO. Um, it, it's sort of like handing a baton in a relay race in the middle of a tornado. It was the kind of thing where um, you couldn't get a situation that would be worse. Uh, obviously, that was early February before we even knew that Disney was going to be closing its parks, but we already saw the rippling of international travel dry down uh, of, of, of the cruise lines is going to take a hit. So many of Disney's businesses were already going to take a hit, and then it just only got worse. So obviously, I mean, Bob Chapek has been at the company. He, I mean, not he's a lifer at Disney, but he's been heading up the theme parks before. Uh, he, he ran some studio stuff before that. So he's familiar with the company as a whole. He is a sound choice if you were going to hire from the inside. But you have a case where he's going to come in, and it's it's everyone's going to remember his first chapter as this really, you know, hard luck story. Uh, you know, it's almost like the end of Avengers Endgame in reverse. You know, it, it starts from something, you know, horrific. Um, how are we going to, you know, uh, compensate for that? So you do have a case where um, he Bob has his hands full, um, and he's someone who is well respected by some people, and at least theme park enthusiasts feel that he was, you know, maybe cutting too many corners and depending too much on intellectual property in the parks, uh, cutting out live entertainment. Everything was becoming, you know, uh, you know, uh, Avengers this, uh, you know, uh, uh, Toy Story that, and some people, while it was great for the park and attendance, uh, some people were saying, well, let's get back to the original rides and stuff like that. So uh, he was always going to be a controversial choice for some parks, uh, for park enthusiasts, but in general. Uh, he's a smart guy who knows the company better than just about anybody. Uh, he's just it was dealt this terrible hand uh, that he can't even play. So it's not even that he played the hand poorly. It's that he, he's not allowed to put down a card at this point until the dust settles. Yeah, I keep thinking about, you know, in like The Godfather where you got to type it, tap in the wartime consigliere. Well, whether Bob Chepik was ready for that or not, <laughs> it's time it's time to, to be brought in uh, for those those uh, for that role. Um Obviously, the, the thing people really jump to uh, with, with much of the other parts of the business uh, being closed down is what does this mean for Disney Plus? Obviously, a great opportunity for them. People are going to be streaming more. A lot of kids are going to be home and need to be entertained. Uh, what kind of opportunity does this open up for Disney Plus to really grow its subscriber base? Yeah, I mean, Disney Plus is going to grow. Uh, I mean, that's that's like it was inevitable even before people were stuck at home with their families with nothing to do but stream television and pretend to homeschool at this point. So I think you have a case where Disney Plus was going to do well in any scenario. Uh, and obviously, they just hit it out of the gate with 10 million subscribers in their very first day. A lot of them were signed up in the months before that because Disney was, did a hard job selling that. It was 28.6 million subscribers um, as of early February. We don't have an updated figure yet. But that figure is going to continue to at least inch higher. And Disney, of course, had a big hit right out 
of the gate with the Mandalorian. So you had a case where people were wondering, uh, is Apple uh, Apple TV Plus, is Disney Plus, are these things going to matter? Um, and while Apple TV Plus was okay, um, it didn't really have that big hit the way Disney did, the way gra- people gravitating to it. So obviously Disney now needs to follow that up, but uh, they've done a couple smart things with Disney Plus. One of them was, of course, uh, Frozen 2, uh, which wasn't supposed to be hitting Disney Plus for a while. Disney said, all right, people are at home. Um, let's remind them uh, what we're capable of. So, boom, let's give them Disney Plus. Let's give them Frozen too. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Onward because these theatrical release windows where they have to wait a certain time, put it out in the home video release that people aren't buying anyway, and then release it to, to these digital services. It's going to be interesting how it plays out with Onward and possibly any other future releases. An interesting side note to that uh, is that uh, Comcast, Universal uh, Parent, which is obviously a Disney you know, rival in just about every way, um, took one of their movies, uh, you know, Trolls uh, World Tour, and said, all right, we're, we're, this movie window is not going to open for us. They're just going to sell it, uh, you know, now for 20 bucks a pop for anyone who wants to watch it at home. We don't know if this is what's going to be what's going to legitimize this pay-per-view um, market, which has always been there for the old-school cable companies. Uh, but digital, it's never been a game-changer when people can just, you know, Netflix and stream stuff uh, um, without having to pay piecemeal for stuff. So we're going to see how this all plays out. Uh, But yeah, Disney Plus is going to be huge. The problem is Will it be enough to offset what it loses in its media networks division on that side? Will it be enough to offset the theme parks and the sports and everything? And it clearly will not. Uh, it will help you know, soften the blow somewhat, but it's not going to be that you know, needle mover right now to uh, compensate for the losses elsewhere in the near term. Right. It'll give management something to point to. We mentioned those tough comps for the studio division. There's really no getting around that, but they'll at least be able to point to Disney Plus. Hey, our growth is... It's going to be a big number. I don't know. I don't know what that number is going to be, but but it's going to be significant. The other thing to think about is over through the rest of this month, Disney Plus will be rolling out internationally in a significant way. So March 24th, the UK, Germany, France, Italy, and Spain, and then March 29th in India. When we look at this international opportunity, how should we be thinking about that as investors? Yeah, definitely, and it's and it's obviously great timing to be rolling out internationally when people through Europe uh, and and India hasn't been as hard hit as some of the other areas, but it's all still it's just a. a Basically, it's a global thing, obviously. Um, it, it's the right service at the right time for people that need, uh, you know, kind of assuring comfort food, wholesome, you know, family entertainment uh, when their families are home. Uh, not that Disney's everybody's cup of tea everywhere around the world, uh, but it clearly is a global juggernaut of a brand, and this is the right time for it. So it should definitely have a lot of appeal internationally uh, at a time when streaming is going to be as popular as ever. But yeah, to your, to your point on how this may move forward, this trend of maybe not having not maybe not even putting movies in theaters a lot of folks have been talking about maybe when it comes to Zoom or Slack these these collaborative software that on the back end of this we could see you know consumer behavior change in a significant way does this accelerate that trend or or, or not or do we know yet yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, you're talking about stuff like Zoom. Uh, my wife is a teacher, and she's gotten a crash course in Zoom now because she's teaching her classes as of this week to her high school class through Zoom. So people are getting up to speed. Uh, you know, your grandparents and your parents that may have never bothered to say, oh, I'm going to stick with my Xfinity Comcast uh, subscription forever. I'm never going to change. Um, they're now, hey, wait a minute. All this content is here. I just have to enter my name and a password and have an internet connection. So um, there's clearly going to be this big 
exodus away from maybe traditional media back to the uh, to the new media, which is what we know is going to be a growth driver in the future. And this is definitely going to be a case where Disney can uh, uh, make some headway in here into educating the market on a market that it's pretty much led. It was one of the first media companies to be an Apple uh, when iTunes store opened. Uh, so it's already had a you know it was already fat, fat, you know future forward thinking in that sense. Uh, now it's helping disrupt these release windows by putting out Star Wars: uh, the, the Rise of Skywalker uh, a, a few days earlier on, on on video, and the same thing now with Frozen 2. So uh, they really are uh, you know at the forefront of making change right now at a time when people are going to be stuck at home. So uh, whether it's knitting or it's streaming, I'm going to be streaming more than knitting in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and it is interesting, too, if you look at the track record of Disney over time, every time there's been a fundamental shift in how this content is just distributed, Disney has seemed to have been the most capable of taking advantage of that, whether it's moving to VHS or other, or other distribution platforms. So this is another opportunity for them uh, to really take advantage of that. Uh, moving back to the park stuff that we talked on the first part of the show, obviously it's going to be really challenging uh, for them to have uh, this big segment of the company closed for an indeterminate period of time. But are there any opportunities this might open up for Disney having the parks closed and nobody in there? How does that is there any positive aspect to these parks being closed for Disney the business? I mean, there's no financial positive to them being closed. But if you think about the fact that they, they are still there doing maintenance, uh, you know, they don't have a full staff there. Most of their staff are being paid, but they're told to stay home uh, as, as they should. Uh, but there is work being done. So uh, it, a lot of attractions there that really need a little a TLC sometimes are don't get it when Disney, when the Magic Kingdom opens at 7 in the morning and closes at midnight, there's not a lot of time to get work done. And especially when you look at Disney in particular, uh, some of their newer rides, uh, more specifically uh, Star Wars, uh, uh, the Rise of the Resistance ride, which opened in December um, in Disney World and opened in January at Disneyland. It, it's it's a, an amazing ride, amazing high-tech ride, a trackless ride that involves about three or four or five different components. It basically spins your head and you wonder, is this even possible at a theme park level? Well, it's been very buggy because you can't just introduce a new technology with all these different factors that have to work perfectly. And when the ride goes down, it's not like uh, it's not like the Haunted Mansion if it goes down for five minutes and then they resume. Uh, this ride goes down, it's down for an hour, hour and a half, and it disrupts everything. So this ride that everybody wants to get on is an issue at Disneyland and Disney World. And this will be a good time to at least, hey, let's run it through what we couldn't do before. We have... We don't have to be basically taxing the machine, uh, you know, the, the, the system right now. Uh, they'll have time to fix that. They can obviously spruce up their parks. There is construction happening all over Disney parks, but in Disney World in particular, next year is the 50th anniversary of the Magic Kingdom, so basically of the Walt Disney World Resort, and they have a lot of things that they're planning there. So they're building a Tron cycle ride at Magic Kingdom. Uh, they have a Ratatouille ride that's going to open at Epcot. They have a Guardians of the Galaxy roller coaster opening at Epcot. All these things can now function can can go being constructed at a quicker pace than before because you don't have park guests around. Um, if you go to Epcot uh, in the last few weeks, it is pretty much a hard hat zone where there's walls basically navigating you around so many attractions that you're just out of limits as they re basically spruce up the park to make it more updated. So you do have a case where in this downtime, Disney can be cleaner and more efficient and so many other things and so many other new rides can be closer to opening once the park does open. So that's about the only silver lining. You're going to have a lot of people that are going to realize how much they miss these parks. And that could also have some kind of, you know, like like a, a lasting effect. But again, I mean, if we are in a recession or worse uh, at the other end of this tunnel, um, it's not as if people are going to become running back to the parks. They're going to be running back to the job that they can find at that point. 
right at the end of the day, this this is a luxury good that that, that Disney is selling. I, I'll say on the on the the rides being shut down. I went to uh, Universal Studios uh, uh, this summer, and it was really frustrating that that new Hagrid ride that was constantly breaking down. And so you had to. We were fortunate to catch catch that lucky time when it was open for, but but hopefully they can get get those underway. So obviously. When you look at the conditions Disney is facing right now, really a lot of challenges. We don't know how long this is going to persist. But as someone who's been following this company for a long time, as we look out three years from now, we look out at the portfolio that Disney has and the IP, how attractive does the stock look today given the sell-off that it's had? It, I, it looks very attractive to me. And, and again, I am a shareholder. I've, I owned which was just one share back in 1986 when my girlfriend and eventual wife, obviously you have to marry someone that gives you a Disney stock as a gift uh, when you're going out. Um, that is now a couple hundred shares. Not that it's split. I've just added to my position over time. So clearly I'm feeling the pain of the stock that was up you know, more than 150 back in November and now you know, back down to the double digits. So uh, uh, clearly, I think it's it's depressed, or else I wouldn't be. You know, I'm holding on to it. It's not just sentimentally. I feel that the stock is a strong value here. But I was always concerned that um, back when the stock was having new highs, is next year, 2020, looking back from the end of 2019, was going to be a challenge for Disney. Um, but now the stock is discounted to the point where. A lot of its businesses are just, you know, stocks lost more than a third of its peak value at this point, uh, even 40% or something, depending on how bad the market goes by the time you hear this. It is a case where it is an attractive company. There is nobody that is as good as Disney as having this ecosystem. Uh, you, 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 maybe you think of like a company like Apple that has this great ecosystem where people pay a premium for their stuff. Disney's the same way. People pay a premium to be at its theme park, and it raises its prices every year. People pay a premium to see its digital content, which is why Disney Plus and its its content was a hit out of the gate, um, and it's really the only legitimate threat right now to Netflix on this kind of scale. So you do have a company that's going to be very successful down the line. It's just going to be a very few rough months and possibly even a few rough quarters once the economy for the economy to get back into any kind of form. But definitely, it is attractive now, and I definitely do see Disney stock higher a year from now, but I don't know where the bottom is. Um, and anyone I could tell you is just guessing at this point. I know it's very attractively priced to where it was a few months ago, that's for sure. And to me, that's good enough uh, because I do see it higher than current levels, but I don't know if we're anywhere close to the bottom if, if the news keeps getting worse. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so hard to tell how long this is going to persist. But to your point, the parks in particular are those assets that really cannot be replicated by anyone else. And they're all over the world. In every country, just just about anywhere in the world, people know the Disney princesses. They know this IP. And assuming that you know the world returns to normal at some point in time, that, that's going to be incredibly uh, valuable assets. Just kind of go to, go to your personal kind of thoughts on Disney. What is your favorite piece of like Disney IP like what 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 gets you most excited to watch when their movies come out I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I know a lot of people, they love the Marvel stuff or the Lucasfilm stuff. I'm a fan of the Pixar end of the, of the spectrum. I love Toy Story. Um, I love stuff, even stuff like Ratatouille. Onward, I feel really bad about Onward because while they only sold like $39 million, I was not one of those. I was actually at Disney World that weekend, and I said, I'll see it next weekend. And I actually, I mean, I had a ticket, an AMC ticket to see it Tuesday morning um, when AMC decided on Monday night we're going to close all our parks. So um, you do have a case where uh, 
yeah, it 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 it, it stings. Uh, you know, as 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 a Pixar fan, as someone that was so happy when Disney bought all of Pixar, because Pixar was an independent company until Bob Iger came in and spoke to Steve Jobs, and everybody said, "All right, let's just make this work." And and to, I took Lasseter and everyone into their their fold. So uh, that is my favorite piece of IP as far as the studio goes. And obviously, I'm a big fan of their theme parks. Uh, um, uh, you know, I, I live in Florida, so to me, it's always like a home away from home. Um, and I do have a place in Celebration, Florida, which is a town that Disney actually built. So I, I have, you know, so obviously I'm, I'm interweaved in all these Disney things. But yeah, I, I think Pixar, as far as their properties go, that's the one that excites me the most. Uh, Toy Story in particular, four movies in, but anything Pixar has done, uh, with rare exception, I mean, maybe like The Good Dinosaur or something, uh, has always uh, impressed me and, and they've raised the bar. So that's one thing that I'm hoping to see, you know, uh, to, to what they do next coming out of this lull. Yeah, I'll tell you, I went to, uh, again, that same trip where I went to Universal Studios, we went to Disney World, and I remember we walked through uh, the new Toy Story Land, and I just felt like I just walked right into my childhood. And I just, I don't know uh, that there's really any other any other brand uh, out there that can replicate uh, um, what Disney has. Last question I'll have for you, Rick. It's one of these days, these parks are going to open back up and folks can go back there. You mentioned you, you live in the area, you go, you go to the parks all the time. Give us some pro tips for folks who are going to the parks. What, what should they do? What should they make sure to do? For pro tips, okay, I mean, the easiest tip is if you're going to stay on, on Disney property, um, as a lot of people do, not me because, I, you know, as, as a local, I don't, but if you stay at a Disney hotel, take advantage of their extra magic morning hours and afternoons where you, they let resort guests in uh, an hour and stay a couple hours after the park closes on set days, different parks. And if you're not going to do that, still, you want to arrive at the parks early. It's, it's someone who goes to parks. I've never seen people as miserable as a Disney park as I do around one or two in the afternoon. Uh, especially people arriving at that time where the lines are all long. You get there in the morning, in the afternoon, you go take a break anywhere and Disney is 40 some square miles of stuff you can do and then come back at night, especially over the summer when the heat is unbearable in the afternoons uh, and come back and enjoy it at night and right when it opens are really the two best times. The bookends of the day are, are the, the, the my if you want to enjoy a Disney World trip, especially if you have a young family uh, and you don't want your kids grumpy or any other you know, dwarf at this point, um, I think you really need to get, go early right when it opens and then come take a break and then come back in the last couple hours of the day, which is really when the Disney parks are at their prettiest and their best and their least crowded. Great advice. Rick, thank you for joining us. Share all your thoughts on, on Disney and hope to have you on again soon. Thank you, Nick. Bye, everybody. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Rick Munares, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on.